Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And welcome to our first ever Best of JAS podcast. I'm going to call it Orlando Magic 30 as we look back at some of the interviews we did through the course of the Magic season not too long ago, talking about the beginnings and the history of the Orlando Magic. And first up was the former Orlando Magic beat writer from the Orlando Signal, Barry Cooper. He joined us to share his memories of the early days. Well, you know what? It was an incredible time. The, the city was just electric. Uh, it's the first major professional sports team for Orlando. Uh, no one could believe that it would happen. And when you look at it, back at those days, the team cost just $32.5 million. That's pocket change to Shaquille O'Neal these days. Uh, <laughs> got that thing going with the Olena. Uh, it was electric. Uh, uh, Matt Gukas came on as the, the first coach back then. Uh, I remember them taking Nick Anderson with the 11th pick in the first round. And the incredible thing, it, it was it was so new to everybody in Orlando. We were just amazed at these guys being in our city and wearing a jersey uh, with the Orlando Magic on the front. I remember Nick Anderson moved his entire family, his extended family, brothers, sisters, cousins, mom all moved from Chicago to be close to him uh, as he uh, became the first rookie for the Orlando Magic in 1989. So what a wonderful time that was. We all pinched ourselves at the prospect of having a a major sports team in the city, and it was just a great time. But you're right, uh, that was a collection of cast-offs, but they were lovable to the people here in Central Florida. Yeah, that hardworking mentality certainly came about, of course, uh, Pat Williams uh, got it all orchestrated, and and it's just amazing to think that uh, that that uh, again a team thriving in Orlando right out of the gate. Pat Williams, you know, had to do a lot of door knocking and a lot of lot of lot of his carnival sales uh, mentality, and he really did a great job hyping and getting the town ready for it. Well, you know, Jim Hewitt was the uh, the principal catalyst for getting the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was just a small business guy here in town. Uh, had this idea about, you know, it's time for Orlando to have a pro sports team. And he went about trying to get support for it. And the best thing he did was hire that carnival barker named uh, Pat Williams. And Pat Williams did some magic. I mean, uh, it's good that he's still a part of the franchise now because it would not have happened without him. Uh, I'm convinced of that. Uh, Orlando uh, came into the league with Charlotte, uh, Miami, and Minnesota. And at the time, uh, no one thought that Orlando, or rather the state of Florida, would get two teams, that it would go to Miami or Tampa. Uh, Miami became a lot, and it was with Pat Williams' uh, enthusiasm and never-say-die attitude that Orlando was able to get one of those franchises. Yeah, and I tell you what I remember most too is uh, as he was uh, on the campaign trail, if you will, uh, he would go on every radio station, no matter the size. I, I mean, before I was at WGTO, I was working at a small AM over on over in Brevard County, and he would he would call up uh, when I was doing the morning. Hey, can I come on and talk about the magic? Oh, of course you can. <laughs> and, and he would he would he would he would not leave any stone unturned. He certainly had 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 that uh, had that ability to to hit. To, to unearth everything 
possible to to get the word out? He would tell me often they got up every morning, and his first thought was to put shoe leather the pavement, as he described it. He'd talk to any group. Uh, he'd meet with any um, uh, potential fans in the city who might become season ticket holders. And just a remarkable sales job, just a carnival blocker who delivered on what has become uh, really a pretty good franchise. And then you think about the, uh, the other thing he brought to us was the incredible luck of the draft lottery, man- managing to land the ping pong balls in consecutive years. You know, they get Shaq, right? Uh, they get Shaq and they get uh, Penny Hardaway. And they won one of those draft lotteries with um, just one ping pong ball. Just amazing. Yes. And, and so and those two guys become the cornerstone of the franchise. So just an, an incredible stroke of luck. Uh, the entire NBA was just furious. This new club uh, that had not been in existence for very long, uh, winning two draft lotteries. And the biggest prize, of course, was Shaquille, who was immediately compared to Wilt Chamberlain and all the other great centers that came before him and went on to become, of course, uh, one of the all-time greats. And then also uh, with, with Penny Hardaway, which uh, obviously that uh, was interesting because originally the draft pick was one Chris Weber, but then they orchestrated the trade uh, to, uh, to bring Hardaway in as he was picked later. And uh, Penny Hardaway to me was, you, you just think about how dynamic a player he was. He did things on the basketball court that would just make your head spin. And he was very deserving to be recently inducted into the Magic Hall of Fame. Agreed. Uh, just a dynamic player, um, great acceleration off the dribble, great 19, 20-foot jump shot, uh, could get to the hole, and the ideal guy to have opposite Shaquille O'Neal, who was so dominant down in the, in the, uh, in the paint. So uh, those two players, after they made the, the trade uh, that involved Chris Webber, uh, really set the cornerstone for the Magic in those early years. Yeah, so then they started to accelerate with uh, with those two young young guns, and then they finally got the missing piece, and it was uh, it was uh, Horace Grant becoming available as a free agent, and the Magic were able to land him. Uh, tell me what how how big a role he played in elevating the Magic to that next step. You know, I think Horace Grant was excited about coming because of Shaquille. It was a chance. Uh, to come to Orlando and do something uh, different, uh, to be a part of what he thought could be a team that could compete for championships for a number of years. And to have that size down in the low post next to Shaquille and be somewhat of an enforcer uh, down low uh, was huge. And so when you look at that early roster, how the team rebounded from a collection of castoffs uh, if you remember that the 89 team had uh, Reggie Theus, Scott Skiles, Terry Catlich, Sam Vincent, Otis Smith, and Jerry Reynolds. Uh, all good guys, but that wasn't going to win you a championship. Mm. Uh, but when they had the luck in the lottery uh, to get Shaq and then to win it again and end up eventually with Penny Hardaway, uh, they became a contender. And I also found it interesting that if my memory serves me correctly, I think you and I were on the air the, the day, that, the day that um, 
Horace Grant's signing was kind of under scrutiny. I believe the original deal was kind of uh, looked at and they kind of had to rework it. So for like a brief moment, everybody was holding their breath. Oh my God, we're not going to get him. <laughs> <laughs> but he did come. And yes. so, you know, one of the disappointments is that he has not remained close to the franchise, but he was very viable uh, to that early success uh, here in Orlando. Uh, would not have gotten to, uh, as far along as the franchise did without him, I'm sure. And then, of course, 1995 was the, 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 the pinnacle year when they um, advanced to the finals. And, of course, it was so exciting. They took out the Celtics, and then they actually took out Jordan and the Bulls, which was, was amazing. You know, a 60 and 22 record, 94, 95, just amazing. Uh, you had the Horace Grant, who came from the Bulls, of course, uh, blended in nicely with Shaq and Penny. Um, and that is incredibly um, remarkable that a team that had just been nothing just a few years earlier um, soars to a 60 and 22 mark. And then, of course, they uh, made their way to the finals and and uh, eventually losing that to the Houston Rockets and, and the, uh, the tough break of Nick Anderson missing the free throws in game one and a game the Magic had in their hands. Then that ultimately turned that series, but still did not take away from the accomplishment of making it all the way to the finals. It was disappointing that they got swept in that series. Uh, but for a franchise that was so young, uh, to accomplish that in really just a short amount of time when you look at how long it takes to build championship teams. Um, you know, I don't know that will be, that, that will be topped um, in the Orlando Magic's history until they win, actually win a title. Because it, it all happened so fast with the, with the luck in the lottery, getting one of the all-time greats in Shaquille, building a nice team around him. And I think a lot of that credit has to go to John Gabriel, who turned out to be an incredible executive yes. with an eye for talent, a guy who could uh, relate to the players. Um, and he played a big role in putting uh, those early Magic teams together once he ascended to uh, the general manager's role uh, for the Magic. And Brian Hill, uh, a man who served under, uh, under Matt Gukas uh, and then became the head coach. Uh, I think and his his role in in that I think goes very underrated as well. You know he was very understated. Uh, he wasn't a showman. He didn't need the spotlight. A very good coach. I mean he really was a great coach, and he just went about his business. And you know it it fit um, the makeup of the ball club because he had a lot of personalities uh, on the, ma the Magic roster. And uh, he was able to get the most out of the players. And I think what he did in his tenant coach, as coach uh, probably has been understated, not recognized enough. Uh, he's loved, of course, by the fans. He's still here around on the radio broadcast and television broadcast. Mm -hmm. But um, he, he was the right coach for the Magic during that time. Absolutely. So, Barry, is there anything that you miss in particular uh, about being in the sports media? Would you say anything stands out? You know, I miss the relationships with the players. I really do. Uh, that was fun, getting to know them as not only basketball players, but as, as men, human beings. Uh, you know, we think these guys live a charmed existence, and certainly they do. 
but they're people like the rest of us. Uh, to this day, I talk a lot with Jerry Reynolds. Uh, I also talk to some of the other guys like Sam Vincent. Mm-hmm. And so just those relationships with those guys that have lasted, oh my goodness, 10, 15 years, that's so enjoyable. And I'll appreciate uh, those relationships for, for years to come. Barry Cooper, the Orlando Magic beat writer from the Orlando Sentinel back in the day and was also my running mate on many editions of our courtside basketball program on WGTO. Greg Warmoth, the main one of the main co-anchors at WFTV Channel 9, one time worked in the sports department. Yeah, we might have a generation of listeners who did not know that, but uh, those of us who have been around a while uh, remember Greg from those days uh, coming up through the uh, sports department and covering the Orlando Magic and becoming pretty well-renowned for his coverage of Shaquille O'Neal. Greg joined us to share his Magic memories. Yeah, I mean, my first news conference that I can recall, Jeff, was Pat Williams coming into town with an orange and black T-shirt on that Orlando is on its way to the NBA. And that would have been in 1986, the summer of 86. Yeah, and so, yeah, so those were when the seeds were being planted by Jimmy Hewitt and Pat Williams. Did you believe that the NBA would actually happen in Orlando at that point? Well, I think what we all knew is that two were going to win out of the four, and it was Charlotte, Minneapolis, Miami, and Orlando. And so we thought it was a competition where 50% of the teams would, you know, towns would win. And when they made the announcement, they said, we're going to bring all four. Um, at that time, the NBA saw these nice seats. They all put together really good, you know, presentations. They had the money. Um, and those are four, I would say, that, you know, Charlotte's had a couple of issues with ownership and, you know, moving to New Orleans. But, you know, they're back now. And I think those have been four good NBA cities. No doubt about it. And so the early days, you know, we had an expansion franchise and we got mostly expansion basketball, but we had a town that was in love because it really was the first professional sports team we had in the city. October 13th, 1989, I guess it would be the first year. um, We beat the Detroit Pistons. They were defending NBA champions. Whenever they came in on their private jet, we covered it like it was the arrival of a president. (laughs) And Reggie Theus and, you know, gosh, you look at that team with Green, Sidney Green, and they won. Matty Gukas was the coach. They beat the Pistons in a preseason game. The place was electric. We led the newscast, not the sportscast, with the Orlando Magic's first victory. And victories were few and far between, but the very first night they took the court, they beat the Detroit Pistons. It was very storybook. And that was probably the, that was the, that was such a loud atmosphere and probably wasn't rivaled until they beat the, uh, the, the Pacers in the playoffs to go to the championship. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, if you think about the highs of that team, there have been some incredible highs. You know, the lows were very long losing streaks. Uh, but one thing, though, Jeff, that I think it's lost in all of these, is I think the Orlando fan base, has been very, very loyal and very consistent, and we've never had an empty arena. It's always been kind of an event for 30 years, and, and I think that's impressive. Yeah, I would agree with that. Right. So so after the expansion seasons, the, the ping pong ball started falling the right way, and 
the the Magic land two superstars and Penny Hardaway, Shaquille O'Neal. They add Horace Grant in free agency, and all of a sudden we have a championship contender. Yeah, then uh, everything was you know everything was going to until the NBA rules allowed Shaquille O'Neal to um, leave with unrestricted free agency. You know they, they've since changed those rules in the NBA uh, because it just devastated our town. You know at that time we had a handful of uh, Magic fanatic stores that sold the the team wear at the airport all over town. There was a a huge building that just sold Magic merchandise in downtown. And then when Shaq left, uh, the Magic left. You know the the Magic of Orlando. That excitement. So. Yeah, it was really something to yeah. watch that all play out. Yeah. So while Shaq was here, he had uh, he had an amazing uh, run with the Magic. And, uh, and of course, you were uh, the guy who uh, was probably most in touch with Shaq of anybody in the media. And uh, you, you really harvested that uh, relationship. And you and I guess, you know, we, we look back, I've seen on your Facebook page, you've dunked on Shaq. You've written on a jet ski with Shaq. <laughs> what were those times like? <laughs> You know, it's funny, at the time, I didn't think Shaq liked me during the courtship once the Magic drafted him because there was the talk that Leonard Armando, his agent, was going to orchestrate a trade before he ever signed here. Um, and I just stayed on that story. I mean, I, I traveled wherever he was. That was pre-TSA, so I could find out whatever flight he was on. Um, and I, if he was in San Antonio, I was in San Antonio. And if he was in Chicago, I was in Chicago. And, I would be there when he got off the plane and just ask him, are you going to play for the Magic? Well, at that first news conference, he said, where's the, I want to thank my my family and thank the Magic and thank the media. Where's my main man, Greg? And I was shocked because <laughs> I had told our sports director, once, if, if we sign this guy, there's no shot he's going to do interviews with me. <laughs> I asked him once about it and he said, no, man, you're a hard worker. I really like that. So I think... What I and I and I handled it. I always felt like I handled it with class. I didn't, um, you know, I didn't bum rush him. I didn't do any of those things like they you've seen on television where people just charge it. I mean, I always like, hey, you know, we're trying to find out what's going on, and, and I think he respected that. So, and we're still friends, you know, and uh, I still stay in touch with him on an annual basis, not on a monthly or weekly or daily basis. Well, that was the one thing I learned about you when we started working together, and and you were one of those guys that you know a lot of guys that are that are that are doing sports. I mean, and, and it's not to say they're not journalists, but you always approach everything with a very journalistic uh, uh, kind of a dogged uh, uh, aggressiveness, I would say. But and like you said, classy but aggressive. I was less opinion than I was facts. So I thought if you tuned into my radio show or to my sports reports, I wanted to give you fact, not opinion. Everyone's got an opinion. We know that whole phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even know how valuable an opinion really is. You know, it's, it's just somebody just spouting off. So when I spoke, my whole thing was, I want to speak from a place of factualness, you know, being factual. And even during... You know, those, those days when Shaq left, the Orlando Magic front office, they, they would tune in. I've learned since um, 
you know, since those days have passed. They've told me that they watched our sportscast to see what we said, <laughs> which I think is an ultimate compliment. Craig Warmoth from WFTV Channel 9, who covered sports and the magic back in the day. And I also got to be a teammate of his at 540 The Team for a little while in the mid-90s. Andrew Monaco, he is the voice of the Texas A&M Aggies. But before that, he was with the San Antonio Spurs. And before that, he was with the Orlando Magic working in the uh, radio department. And Andrew talked about that experience with us. That was that was. It was a little new for me, uh, especially with the uh, with the affiliates. And I remember we had to have, well, obviously Orlando and the and the flagship, uh, which was 740 at the time before it went over to WDBO. We had to have an affiliate in Tampa, Tallahassee, Jacksonville. I can't remember if Daytona had to be one or not. And then we would we would fill in uh, affiliates around the state. So we got to about, I think the farthest South we had was Port St. Lucie. And then at a certain, at a certain point, then it was the exclusivity for the Miami heat, but we had a, we had a pretty good network if I remember correctly. Um, and then it, what made me chuckle was it, it was, I guess less than a year before that I had been calling these stations for jobs, looking to see for jobs, <laughs> not getting anybody to answer. So I, I joke with Dennis Newman. We, we had the running joke because he replaced me. And I said, remember, remember when we were working and we couldn't get these people to answer? But it used to be then, you know, hey, I'm calling it. This is Andrew Monaco. I'm sorry, general manager's in a meeting with the Orlando Magic. Oh, hold on. That meeting is just breaking up now. And Dennis and I always laughed about that. Like they were taking our calls now because we were, we were with the Magic when we by ourselves we we couldn't get anybody to answer the phone so uh, that was that was a really uh, that was a neat aspect and i remember in the early part um the magic would play a a number of preseason games all around the state and i really liked doing that whether we went into tallahassee or uh tampa or jacksonville we'd we'd play those games i remember playing in daytona it was neat And, and we always had our affiliate nights every year and it was great to see all those affiliates i think it was a big part uh, I think that was a big part of the success. It wasn't just Orlando's team. I really think it was a lot of Florida's team. Um, and and I, I, I truly believe this, that if David Steele was not a part of that in the early going, and that's taking nothing away from the TV side mm-hmm. with Chip and Goose, but I think David, and because of having been at Florida, uh, so well-known, uh, and the reputation uh, that he has, uh, I'll say had in the past tense, going back to 89 and 90 and 91, I think that really helped us. And when they knew that David was going to really be the broadcast, uh, I I think that was a big reason why we were able to get um, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the affiliates that we did. We knew there wasn't going to be a lot of winning uh, being an expansion team, although we won quicker than, than we thought we did. I just think having David attached to it, uh, it was going to sound really good. It was going to be a quality broadcast. I think his reputation helped us uh, in, the, in the early going convince a lot of affiliates to, to take the magic at that time. Yeah, that is a great point because uh, you know, a lot of people don't remember that David was the, the voice of the Gators for several years uh, prior yeah. to joining the magic. Um, so let's look at that first season. And, and I, I remember that first season so vividly, especially when they came out of the gate seven and seven, and people were thinking, could they be a playoff team? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, it's, and it's and it's that group of four. I it's how I kind of look at them. The group of four: Charlotte, Miami, coming in in '88, 
we came in with Minnesota and there was a lot of people. I relied on a lot of those folks in Minnesota. I remember for the broadcasting part and, uh, you know, Minnesota had some success early also, which was, I remember, I remember Pat Williams saying that the, the big template for the magic was what the Dallas Mavericks had done. And I think they came in in 80 Donald Carter, their, their original owner. Uh, they really liked the way Dallas did it. It took a little while for the Mavericks to get good. And you're right with that kind of start, we were all wondering how was <laughs> how was this going to be, uh, and it was it was really interesting. And I think that really, I think it had the rest of the league take notice because my remember if I'm not mistaken, Miami went what zero and seventeen, their yes. first start. Mm-hmm. Pat had that rivalry. He wanted that rivalry with Miami that Miami wanted nothing to do with, which I thought there was absolutely no playfulness at all. And to me, that's how always how 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 Pat dealt. Uh, was it Lucia fell? Was he one of the owners? He wanted nothing to do with the magic and that rivalry. They thought they were better than everybody else. To me, that's how that, that's how I took it. So to have that kind of success, but I think that was the work that Pat had done and had known the league, and they they had a a, a, a good. I mean, it was a good team for an expansion team at the time to have a Matt Gukas as your head coach and the work that was done but that was that was a little eye-opening wasn't it you thought wow it's not gonna it's not gonna be this easy you knew it wasn't gonna be that easy but it certainly was a lot of fun having having that kind of success that first season no doubt and of course the magic uh, got uh, got rolling and and achieved a lot of success in the early seasons obviously ping pong balls helped uh and mm-hmm. and, and you get and you, and you get uh, shaquille and penny and and what an amazing time that was when the magic became playoff contenders and championship contenders i'll I'll never forget the mr devos why not us why not now uh and i find i i find myself saying that in certain uh in certain instances as well for for new teams and uh it, it really did it came together quicker than i think anybody thought um and i i can remember the draft night uh when it was uh, announced Chris Weber, but we were never going to keep Chris. It was it was Penny Hardaway all the way, and the and the and that was that was um, that was a tough reception at the time in in that building in Orlando Arena at that time, and and Penny turned out to be a, a, a wonderful pick. But if you remember, it was Chris Weber, Chris Weber the entire time going into it, where I think Magic fans expected it to be Weber when it wasn't. Hadn't really noticed how good a player, a great player at the, at the time that, that Penny Hardaway was, and I know it didn't end. It didn't end well, but uh, that was a, that was a key building block for that. And then the Shaquille, I remember Pat told me a story that when they got the first pick the first time, everybody in the league had congratulated him and good good for you. And I always felt yeah that was fine because they knew well one pick wasn't going to really change the fortunes that much. Well, when the Shaquille O'Neal came, <laughs> he didn't get the same number of calls. <laughs> now, now the Magic were becoming a threat. Although he did say that Jerry Colangelo was the one who who had called him. But you, you know, it's not just getting the picks; you have to make the right picks, and and they certainly did. And then, you know, those those teams that went to the finals or or were were legitimate contenders were really built well, um, really built well. Uh, and there there was a reason that wasn't a fluke. Uh, and they had to, you know, they had to take their lumps also. What was it? The tiebreaker with Indiana and the Pacers and, and missing out and then throttling the Pacers in that game seven, which is one of the loudest buildings uh, I've ever been in. That yes, Orlando Arena when they won. Like, remember that? That was really loud. Um, and even to the point of, you know, I, I remember even the, the, the it was the, 
maybe the closest sweep you've ever been involved in uh, <laughs> against Houston. But I remember Brian Hill saying that he wanted that team to take a look at that moment and remember it because they were they were going to be back and it and they would not be back. And they would be you know uh, thwarted before then. It would take the you know the Dwight Howard years to do that, but. Uh, I mean, that was that was inside-out play. You had the three-point shooting of 3D and Dennis Scott. You had the dynamic point guard in, in Penny. And you had, you know, Nick Anderson, who seemed to be Orlando's own. I mean, you talk about someone who was embraced by that town. Uh, you bring in Horace Grant, a proven winner. Uh, your, your role players there, whether it was the Anthony Bowie's, you know, guys like that. That that was a that was a solidly built team. It really was. And uh, I, I thought that was that was a lot of fun to watch that come to fruition. And interesting you mentioned that because uh, when I had Barry Cooper on the podcast, he said, you know, John Gabriel does not get enough credit for what took place in building that team. Everybody thinks it was, I don't want to say luck. I shouldn't say that, but oh, everything fell into place. You had to make the right selections. As, as, as you have seen throughout the league, you can make the wrong pick. You could pick Anthony Bennett, number one. Mm-hmm. If you're Cleveland and, and that did them absolutely no good. And, and again, the reason why that hurts is not when you have LeBron James, it's not going to hurt you to miss that pick. LeBron's gone. So now you can't rely on that number one pick anymore. I know it became Andrew Wiggins and you get Kevin Love, things like that, but you've got to make the right picks. And, and I, I'm with Barry on that one. I think Gabe did a, you know, did a, a masterful job. Uh, in the early going, that wasn't easy because there's no expansion. I, I want to say maybe the Vegas Golden Knights in hockey. Other than that, expansion teams never get great, never get great picks. You had to do your homework there. And I also think the other thing that they did very well was was pick players who wanted to be in Orlando and allow the Magic fans to embrace them mm. um, before that. So not just your not just your your draft picks. And Nick Anderson was a, you know an outstanding pick, but you had to get veterans. Um, who wanted to be in that situation, the Terry Catledges and the Jerry Reynolds and things like that. They wanted, you had to make sure that they had to be there and the, and the right veterans. And I think that you know, the Dave Corzines and stuff like that, you, that, that can be a tricky mix as opposed to just picking 15 castoffs and, and hoping for the best. So from that point to also being masterful in the draft, I think Gabe did a terrific job. So who would, who would you say was your favorite magic player in your time here? Daryl Armstrong always stands out. Bo outlaw yeah. would stand out. The heart, um, and hustle, the heart and hustle team. Yep. The, the heart, the heart and hustle team. Uh, Doc is, will, will always be one of my favorite head coaches. Uh, it is, it has been great to see him, throughout the years, um, uh, even with my time with the Spurs and he was with the Clippers or with the Celtics. Always, always good to see him. Ah, that's a good question. I hadn't thought about it. Um, it could be early. It could be a little later. Uh, yeah, it might be, it might be, it might be those guys. Like Ben Wallace was a lot of fun. Uh, yep. I, I, Daryl Armstrong's, I, he's one because I used to see him a lot with the Mavericks. He was an assistant with the Mavericks. Uh, Tom Sterner, an assistant coach, would be with the Mavericks. Uh, Eric Musselman was one of, and I know we're getting to the coaches, was one of yep. Chuck Daly's assistants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Muss and I would end up doing uh, uh, G League games together for TV. Uh, and the stories that he would tell <laughs> were absolutely awesome. I, and, I'm, and I'm thrilled at all his 
success. Well, you know, the, the players are really so good to us. Uh, I, you know, I had known Matt Gukas a little bit from the beginning, obviously with Pat and, and Gabe in that, in that front office. I think when I was hired, there was like 20 people and we were still in the Orlando arena. And before that, that grew and then obviously RDB sports and things like that. But I, I think, I think it's hard to pick just one because I think they were so down to earth. I think it was a different time. And again, being, being such a, a an integral part of central Florida uh, and Orlando. But I, I think, I think the overachievers like the Scott Skiles, um, the overachievers like Daryl Armstrong, the Bo Outlaws, I think you kind of side with them because you knew those guys and Ben Wallace were going to give you everything every night. And then off the court, they were some of the nicest guys in the world. That was Andrew Monaco, who worked in the Orlando Magic Broadcast Department. You know, he did Orlando Cubs baseball on the radio as well. And these days, the voice of the Texas A&M Aggies. Dennis Newman, the radio voice of the Orlando Magic, he joined our podcast back during the playoffs when the Magic were facing off against the soon-to-be world champion Toronto Raptors. And while we had Dennis on, we certainly had to get some of his historical perspective. Well, you know, it's, it's like choosing between your children, I guess. But <laughs> You can do two if you want. <laughs> was the win in the NBA NBA Finals. We won again a game against the Lakers. And, that, you know, it was just a wonderful accomplishment, not only to get to the finals, but, you know, the first time the Magic were in the finals in 95, they were swept. It was a close period swept by Houston. But to get to the finals in 09, win a game and, and really be competitive in, in most of those games against Kobe and the Lakers, um, that, that probably, for me, that, that had to be the highlight so far. So how much has the game changed in the last 30 years? I mean, could a 90s Magic team be competitive in today's NBA where, you know, back in the day, you probably had maybe one or two long-distance shooters. Now teams throw out a whole lineup full of them. Yeah, it's a stark difference. I mean, it's a, it's a completely different game. And I, I truly believe the answer would be no. I don't think a team from the 90s could be competitive uh, because of the shooting. I mean, these kids come out now, they all shoot, and they're all shooters initially, it seems. I mean, these aren't kids that are learning to shoot, though some of them are, but there's a lot of kids coming out, just unbelievable three-point shooters and can really shoot the basketball. Now, uh, on the bottom side of that, I think we've lost a lot of the fundamentals of the game, but the shooting is completely different, and it's changed the game drastically, where now you've got, you know, that's a bigger floor now, and and guys are making shots from all over the floors we've seen here the last couple weeks from (laughs) Steph Curry and others. Yeah, so a guy like Taco Fall down the street at UCF, who's strictly an inside player when fives now go out to the three-point line quite a bit, that would be a tall order for him to uh, to transition his game to the NBA, I would think. Boy, it is. And, you know, it's not that it can't be done, Jeff, but I believe you're right. I, I just think if you're a big man in the NBA today and you can't shoot, it, it's you better do something very, very well. And that's what you've always heard said about an NBA player. You can make it in the NBA. If you do one thing better than anybody else but it's tough if you don't shoot the three ball in this day's nba really difficult to make it dennis newman the radio voice of the orlando magic and uh wanted to include that uh, uh taco fall uh comment in there because you know he's uh in preseason camp with the boston celtics he's he's becoming a cult hero and he's playing pretty decently 
and you know the the Celtics are may find a role for him that uh, that he can kind of carve his little niche out in. Chip Carey, he was the original television voice of the Orlando Magic for several seasons, and of course these days he's the voice of the Atlanta Braves. Chip joined our podcast and talked about getting started as a broadcaster with the Magic. My, my standard line with that is, uh, Pat Williams hired me when nobody else would have taken a chance on me. I had no basketball experience, um, but he saw something in me that I probably didn't even see in myself. And uh, when Bob Neal at the uh, NBA uh, All-Star Game in Houston mentioned my name to Pat, he was intrigued, and uh, Pat brought me in and, and hired me. Uh, look, I was 24 years old. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, the, the Magic, I think, won 15 games that year, and I was worse than the team. Uh, but, but Pat in the front office stuck with me. Matt Gukas was uh, incredibly helpful and patient with me, taught me a lot of things that I, you know, I didn't know that I didn't know. And I'm grateful for the fans who let me grow up before their eyes. You know, I, 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 I'm fully honest in saying this. If Twitter were around, my broadcasting career probably would have ended pretty quickly uh, in 1989 because I was just so green behind the ears. But uh, I had the good fortune of working with Jack Givens, who was extremely patient, was like a, an older brother to me. Uh, David Steele, who's in the Magic Hall of Fame, was outstanding, and a fellow Georgia Bulldog, and we had a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. And the guys on the team uh, themselves were, were, were tremendously generous with their time. Uh, Scott Skiles, dear friend. Uh, Jeff Turner, fantastic. Got along great with Shaq and Horace Grant. Bob Hill, Brian Hill. Uh, you know, to be able to grow up with a franchise like the Magic, like I did, when you're the you know one of the first announcers in an expansion year, uh, you really do see things from the ground up in the beginning, and to see how far the franchise came in such a short period of time, and to be along for that ride was really the thrill of a lifetime. Yeah, and when I think back about that, you know, think about 1995. That was a great year for the Carey family. You calling the Magic as they rose to make it to the NBA Finals, and your dad calling the Braves, bringing home a world championship. That would be pretty special. Yeah, that was pretty fun. Uh, you know, uh, 95 was a uh, uh, you know, great baseball year for the Braves. And I always told Pat Williams, look, I'm a baseball guy at heart. And I was heartbroken when uh, uh, Orlando didn't get one of the expansion franchises in the major leagues. But, uh, yeah, the, the NBA Finals and that ride, I mean, I tell people all the time that uh, being on the plane with the Magic was, I, I guess, like traveling with the Rolling Stones or what I would imagine it would be like. You had Shaq, you had Penny, you had Dennis Scott, Horace Grant, uh, Donald Royal. I mean, you had really cool, unique personalities that were on that team. And we'd land in Milwaukee at 3 o'clock in the morning in 20 degree below zero weather. And there were 15, 20 people outside the hotel at 3 o'clock in the morning waiting to get people's autographs. Wow. Uh, and to, to watch that, to watch that team uh, just just buzzsaw their way through people and, and develop an attitude and a belief that, holy crap, we can really win and do this was, uh, was really, really fun to see. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate the way the finals ended up because I firmly believe if, if a couple of free throws go in game one, the magic probably win the world championship. Unfortunately, it wasn't meant to be, but in no way diminishes how great, uh, that, that, that run was for the Atlanta magic with the luck of the ping pong balls and all that came with that. So, uh, yeah, 95 was great, a lot of fun, uh, great memories, uh, great stories, great personalities, and uh, hopefully the Magic can get back to that kind of prominence sooner rather than later. Chip Carey discussing his days with the Orlando Magic, and of course, he is the television voice of the Atlanta Braves, and you know, doing this podcast, best of special, uh, day before 
The Braves play the Cardinals in Game 5 of the uh, National League Division Series, so I'm getting amped up for that. And, um, and, and that's the way that series has gone, and Chip said it perfectly. Uh, mid-season when I was listening to one of the watching one of the games on uh, on TV uh, saying if uh, if you like ulcers the Braves are your team <laughs> and uh, no truer words were spoken Erica Lee longtime morning co-host of the Scott and Erica morning show an Orlando radio legend she was my uh, my uh, my teammate on the baseline as we were sitting on press row. I got to sit next to Erica for quite some time, watching a lot of Magic games, and uh, got to know her during that experience. And uh, she's such a great basketball fan, and of course, always brings that great sense of humor as she did when she joined the podcast. When I asked her about who her favorite Magic player was, probably Jeff Turner. Okay, because. He- he would, it was just always amazing that he would check in and immediately get a foul. <laughs> and it was kind of like, yeah. <laughs> it's like they issued him one at the table as he was checking in. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and he, had, but, and you he, know, there's, yeah, I mean, but the, the originals, the, you know, Nick Anderson and Dennis Scott and, you know, then the Anthony Bowies and, you know, there were so many fun players that were part of the early days. Yes, and it was always fun to watch them play. Of course, you know, Jeff Turner had that nice uh, silky baseline jumper, so he, he would contribute offensively. Um, and, mm-hmm. and and then, yeah, you mentioned an Anthony Bowie. But, and we always seem to find these guys, of course, you know, the original team was built on players that were no longer wanted by their teams, and they had a certain attitude that they brought to, brought to the floor uh, each and every night. Oh, yeah. The Terry Catledges of the world. Yes, yes, the Catman. And Jerry Ice Reynolds <laughs> would be another one uh, that, that would come to oh, mind. Oh, yeah. No doubt. Um, and then, of course, you know, once, you know, they drafted well, as you said, with Dennis Scott and Nick Anderson. And then the ping pong balls broke uh, for consecutive years, and Shaq and Penny came, and everything went upward from there. Uh, did you see that 30 for 30? About yes. Shaq and Penny. Yes, I did. That was a tremendous show. What was your what was what what yeah. takeaway did you come away from that from that program? Um, I, you know, I think they both have some regret about the way things went down. It seemed like you know Shaq understood that he was really damaging his legacy partly at the time. And, you know, whether it was over a pole in the Orlando Sentinel or just wanting bigger fish to fry, um, he and Penny really had something that was magical. Yeah, to say the least. And you know what my takeaway from that show was? After seeing all the highlights, you really forget how great a player Penny Hardaway was. Had he not been robbed of his skill by injury, I mean, he would just do things on the court that you your law, your jaw would literally drop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was like you said, it was a magical time. No pun intended, but none, none of course. <laughs> <laughs> One of the greatest laughs in Orlando radio history, Erica Lee, the longtime co-host of the Scott and Erica morning show on Mix 105.1. Well, you can't do a history of the Orlando magic without talking to the man who started it all. The great Pat Williams 
recently retired as the Senior Executive Vice President of the Orlando Magic. And he was on the show, and he retraced all the steps from the beginning for us. Jeff, in September, early September of 1985, I was down here. I was a GM of the Sixers, but I came down for a speaking engagement. Uh, I got hooked up with a businessman. I'd met a time before Jimmy Hewitt and uh, uh, one of his pastor friends, John Tolson. When I finished speaking, they uh, drove me to the airport uh, to go back to Philly. In the course of the conversation, uh, I just simply raised a question. I said, would pro basketball ever go in Florida? And where would you put the team, Miami or Tampa? (laughs) Well, that got... That got both of them really upset. I mean, I didn't know Florida that well. And they said, you wouldn't put it in either place, you'd put it right here in Orlando. Well, I had seen uh, downtown Orlando, there was really no skyline. Uh, there was no arena. I'd flown into the airport earlier, and boy, that was nothing to look at. <laughs> uh, there was no Universal Studios, there was no big convention center. Ooh, Orlando. And uh, they said, absolutely. I said, well, if you believe that, uh, maybe you should go up and see the commissioner, David Stern. Uh, There's a little bit of rumbling that perhaps the league is interested in adding some more cities. Uh, And then I got out and flew back to Philly and thought nothing of it. But later that week, Jimmy called me and said, Bubba. He calls everybody Bubba. Mm -hmm. He He said, we're going up to see the commissioner. We got an appointment. I said, my goodness, and then Jimmy and his brother went up to see David Stern, and they came back, and Jimmy called me, and he said, there's nothing for sure, but he said, at least they're uh, they're thinking about it. And uh, Jimmy kind of got the sense that if anything happened, the uh, entry fee would be about $25 million, which was a staggering amount of money at that point. Mm-hmm. Anyway, as that uh, winter of the 85-86 winter went on, uh, Jimmy kept kept me posted. Uh, they got moving on getting a building up, and uh, he put an ownership group together. And I mean, this guy, Jimmy Hewitt, was dead serious. I mean, I kind of felt that I'd, I'd uh, created a monster. <laughs> and uh, finally, in April of 86, Jimmy said to me, uh, he said, we've gone as far as we can go down here. You know, we've got this building moving, and I've got an ownership group ready. And uh, But uh, if, you're, if you're not going to come down and head this up, he said, I'm just going to, uh, we'll just end it. Well, uh, what that meant was I had to make a decision. Stay in my home area of Philadelphia with the Sixers, or uh, take a, a, a flying risky leap and moving a family of six children to come down here and, uh, and had this this wild goose chase, really, to see if Orlando could land a NBA expansion team. Well, that's what we decided to do. I left Philadelphia, and in June of 86, arrived here. We had a press conference to announce that we were on our way to the NBA. <clears throat> we spent 10 months working and selling and arguing and uh, putting shoe leather to the pavement. And finally, in April of 87, at the owners' meeting in New York, the league shocked everybody when they announced they were going to accept four new teams. 
Miami, uh, Orlando, Charlotte, and Minnesota. That's how all four of us got in. They took all four of us. By then, they had raised the price tag to get in up to $32.5 million. Listen, no team had ever sold for that kind of money, not even close. Mm-hmm. Somehow or other, all four of us uh, ponied up, and uh, Charlotte and Miami got to start in the fall of 88, and Orlando and Minnesota came in in 89, and Jeff, that's why we're, right now we're celebrating our 30th year as a team in the NBA. So, Pat, um, what do you think tipped the scales in the favor of the Magic being included in that group of four? Well, first of all, uh, the, the owners of the league were not going to turn down $32.5 million. They'd never heard of such a fee, such kind of money. You multiply that by four franchises, if my math is right, that's well over $100,000, $100 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, divided up among, oh, what, eight, 16, 18 team owners. That was a, a huge hit to their bottom line. I think that was a big part of it. And we really sold Orlando firmly on the future. Uh, I kept saying, you got to look at this city in 10 years or 20 years. I didn't say 30. <laughs> but here we, here we are, Jeff, with this booming city here in Central Florida. Yes. Uh, the growth staggers anybody who looks at it. Everywhere you turn, the city is growing and expanding and stretching out and going up in the air and oh boy, it, it, it just it just stuns me to see and compare it with what it was 30 some years ago. So we were right on that front telling the league, you've got to look at this city down the road and uh, that uh, that statement certainly has been accurate. So you had then had to put a team together, and the first Magic team there was the expansion draft, and we got a collection of guys that uh, were were veteran players, but basically were left unprotected, and they turned out to have some amazing grit and made this town fall in love with them. Jeff, we hired a good coach. Matty Gukas came down to be our coach, and then we worked hard and studying those options everybody could protect uh, x number of players the rest were exposed and and minnesota and us uh, went through the expansion draft sydney green um jerry catledge reggie theus otis smith sam vincent scott skiles old-time magic fans will remember those names jerry reynolds yep uh, Nick Anderson was our first draft choice in the 89 draft. Mm-hmm. Turned out to be a, a you know an absolute rock of a player here for a decade. But that veteran team, uh, they, we had our moments. Beat Detroit in the first preseason game ever. Boy, that was something. Mm-hmm. And we had wins. We, had, we beat the Lakers and we beat the Bulls one night. And oh, there was some excitement in the old uh, the old Orlando Arena. And uh, our fans, I think that was what was so staggering. I mean, the building was full every night with these absolute rabid fans. Mm-hmm. Noisy, loud, and colorful. <laughs> I mean, some of our fans were worth the price of admission just to watch. No doubt. No doubt. Including the fat guy. Including the fat guy. Yes, I was just having know, a... How do you invent a fat guy who came in down out of the stands when we were rallying and started running around the building 
screaming and waving and getting our fans excited and uh, the, the sports magic team that invented, you know, those slingshot shots and guns shooting t-shirts up in this crowd and all that was new. Um, stuff arrived and our, our magic dance team and boy, it was a show. It was a show. And when the magic uh, pulled off a wind with everything else going on, all oh, this town loved to celebrate. So, Pat, you you built that first uh, team, then a few seasons revolve in, and then the then the I guess the question would be: Were you at one time a great ping pong player? Because ping pong balls seem to have uh, worked well in your favor, as the Magic were able to uh, land Shaquille O'Neal and the rights to get to Penny Hardaway and and turn this franchise into a championship contender. Well, in '92, Jeff, we won that lottery, and that was the year Shaq came out. Now, that was the easiest draft pick in the history of the sport. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, uh, miraculously, uh, that ping pong ball of ours uh, popped up again. And, and that's how we ended up with Penny after some maneuvering. And uh, Shaq and Penny were quite a duo. Uh, they took us to some amazing heights. Unfortunately, it didn't last long enough. Mm-hmm. We were hopeful that would be a decade, you know, of excitement. But Shaq had the right to move, and he went to L.A., and Penny was here. But soon thereafter, his knees went out. He had two knee surgeries, uh, one on each knee, and, uh, you know, he was never never the same again, really. He had some good moments, but uh, he was never quite the same. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but for those years that they were together with Dennis Scott and Nick Anderson in his prime, and then... Uh, um, Horace Grant joined us. We, we had quite a club, and uh, we accomplished a lot. But we came short, and uh, uh, people will be playing the what-if game forever. What if Jack had stayed, and what if Penny had stayed healthy? What might have been? But now that's sports. That's the way it is, and uh, you, you just keep on trucking. That's what I've learned. Yeah, no doubt. And then... After the, the the Shaq and Penny era, we moved into the Heart and Hustle era. Uh, Doc Rivers had uh, brought some resurgence into the team, and we got the likes of uh, Daryl Armstrong and uh, Bo Outlaw, uh, Ben Wallace, uh, and and an, another team that was a hardworking team that the town embraced. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, we saw Doc Rivers make his coaching debut here. And, of course, Doc has gone on and become one of the top coaches, uh, one of the better coaches of all time, when you look at it. Mm-hmm. And he, he started here and uh, put his roots here, and, and his family has never left Winter Park. Uh, they've, they've made this their home as Doc travels and coaches. Uh, but that was a neat team, fun team. Boy, they played hard every night. Uh, they really went after it. And that led to another ping-pong miracle, Jeff, in, in 2004, and that was the Dwight Howard miracle mm-hmm. uh, coming out, out of high school, and we had the first pick, and there he was. And uh, people forget those early years, boy, how good Dwight was. He was young and strong and springy. Boy, he could leap, and he did, he did a lot of things. He was a rebounder. He was a tough inside player. We had great success in that period. And and with Shaq, uh, we got back to the NBA Finals again with, with Dwight. 
yeah, and and his supporting cast. So uh, those are all positive memories, you know, that we will have. Two trips to the finals is pretty good, Jeff. No, uh, a lot a lot of franchises have never done that. So we're uh, we're we're certainly grateful for those those highs. Uh, the lows are not a lot of fun, but they're challenging because you're always trying to make good picks and uh, rebuild your franchise and add more talent. And so they're, 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 there's nothing boring about them either. They're 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 always very stimulating. So Pat, when you mentioned Dwight Howard's, so when that draft came out, the the conversation was centered around him out of high school and Emeka Okafor, who was a, a an established college senior won a national championship at UConn. Uh, what what went into picking what went into picking Dwight over Okafor? Well, there was certainly a lot of people who thought we had made a mistake uh, that Okafor was uh, established and he had had great success. But there was something about Dwight when you when you really looked at him and studied him. We got him in for a workout. We spent time interviewing him. Found him to be a, a, a charming young guy. You know, really. Uh, we met his family, and we just bet on the future that uh, that he had a chance to be a, a special player, uh, and he was. Uh, he started uh, right away as an 18-year-old, uh, would have been a college freshman, and there he was in the starting lineup on, on opening night. And, th- and there he stayed for the next, what, 10 years, almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he, uh, Dwight decided that he wanted to be elsewhere, uh, that he, he needed a bigger market, and, and that started his bouncing around to L.A., to Houston. Atlanta. To Atlanta, to, to, Washington, to, Charlotte, or to Washington, and oh, boy. Uh, I, I would say, and I bet you Dwight would tell you the same thing, he said, you know, I wish I just stayed in Orlando. I think a lot of played. yeah, I think a lot of people have that have that uh, feeling that if, if he was stuck here, uh, it would have been another another amazing. Uh, not that he didn't have a, a a great legacy on the court, but he could have had a had one even bigger if he had he stayed. Yeah, there'd be a there'd be a statue of him outside the building when he retired. Uh, he he'd be. Uh, He'd have an adoring fan base forever. He'd have a home forever here. But as it stands, he doesn't have a home anywhere. <laughs> that is NBA wise. It's not. It's really. It's not here. It's sure not in L.A. or Houston or Atlanta or Charlotte or Washington. You know, as far as being beloved in, in any city in the league, it's it's not there for him. Yeah. So, and we told him that. We told him that. We told him, Dwight, by moving, you're not automatically going to be loved. <laughs> um, but you are here, you know. But he uh, he didn't listen. You know, he uh, had other people talking to him as well, and it just uh, it's just it's a sad story, really. But a good lesson mm-hmm. uh, to if if you're if you're a ball player and you have a chance to. Spend your whole career in one city uh, and be loved and be appreciated. Boy, I I tell athletes all the time, do it. Yeah, your career your career is going to be quite short. Uh, you're going to be out of the game a lot longer than you're in it. Mm-hmm. And you want to be able to uh, be in a community where you're really appreciated. You want to be 
Cal Ripken in Baltimore. Yeah. That or, or, the, or the late Johnny Unitas in Baltimore. You want to be uh, John Havlicek or Ted Williams in Boston or mm-hmm. Larry Bird or Bobby Orr. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you want to be Joe Namath in New York where... Uh, where that's that's your city. That's that's where you're identified. Yeah, and and always always appreciated. That that's what I would want. The great Pat Williams, the man that started it all and got the ball rolling for professional basketball in Central Florida. And one of the things I wanted to touch on myself was the Tracy McGrady era, which has kind of somewhat been unheralded unherald, uh, in the history of the Magic. Um, Tracy was such a dynamic player, and you know it, was, it just was a shame that it didn't work out. You know he was the big free agent land along with uh, Grant Hill. They almost landed Tim Duncan from the Spurs. What a what an amazing trio that would have been if you want to play the what if game. But uh, it never worked out for Grant Hill. God bless him. You know he could have just taken the money, but he kept trying to play and kept trying to play. Eventually would get some time in like with the Phoenix Suns, and, and and be somewhat productive. But it was never the Grant Hill that was in Detroit with the Pistons. Um, but that was a, another era that uh, that was uh, pretty amazing as far as uh, great basketball was concerned. And I think a couple of names that uh, don't get talked about about enough from the uh, the Dwight Howard era would be Hedo Turkoglu and Jameer Nelson. Uh what uh, dynamic uh, players they were at their respective positions. And uh, man, what a think about all the basketball, all the great stuff we have seen here in 30 years. Now, granted, the last few seasons before this past one were a little, little on the unmeaty side for sure. But uh, at least now we have a, a team that uh, has made the playoffs and looking to go forward. October 13th, 1989, that was the first time the Magic played a basketball game, albeit preseason, at the old O Arena, beating the Detroit Pistons, who were the defending world champions. So this town went just absolutely electric, nuts, gaga, you name it. Um, that, you know, I had gone in on season tickets with uh, three of my buddies, and I was actually in... My seats and uh, Tracy Clayton, who worked with the Magic, came here. Hey, we need somebody to help do stats for uh, Sunshine Network. So I got to sit courtside with Chip and Goose, handing uh, handing notes to them about uh, st- statistical happenings in the game. And I think at one point uh, Detroit had missed like 14 shots in a row. So I'm handing that note to Goose, and uh, it was quite a bit of fun. And as you've heard during several of the conversations here, the building was just deafening totally deafening it's still a sound i hear when i reflect upon that time so i hope you've enjoyed this uh, special orlando magic 30 and you're 31 about to embark we will preview that for you next week taking a look at the 2019 2020 season for the magic men and um this week I'm going to throw another bonus podcast out there. Joe Finger will be back to talk about the League Championship Series in Major League Baseball once those get set. So we'll have that conversation with Joe a little later this week. And with that, we are done here. 
Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. It's made from the finest ingredients so it stops itching, heals hot spots, and painful inflamed skin. Kramer's Salve contains a proprietary blend of neem, an ingredient known for its healing properties. A 4-ounce 6-month supply, including shipping, is just $30, and the 2-ounce 3-month supply, including shipping, is only $20. Help your dog end the itch and hot spot cycle. Order today at kramersalve.net. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E. LVE.net.